This morning I have the privilege of uh, taking on the next piece of our series, The Good and Beautiful God. And it's a good thing, and it's a not-so-good thing. It's not-so-good thing in that, it's a good thing in that it's, it's the Word of God and we get a chance to hear and preach and, and engage in the Word of God. It's not-so-good in that I have to contest contend rather with the the familiarity piece. That is, because we are so familiar with the text, it's very, very easy to not pay attention because you already know the text. You already know the story. Everybody knows the story of the prodigal. In fact, this is probably one of the most common stories, one of the most popular stories in Scripture, the story of the prodigal son. And so this morning, as we prepare to understand what that story is really teaching us, I want you to pray specifically that God would allow you to see it in a new light, that you would not be struggling with familiarity, that would not get in the way and cause you to tune out because you know the rest of the story. I had to do that myself. And I was surprised. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this occasion, this privilege again that you have given us, that we, the people of God, would have an occasion to engage the living God. I thank you for the awesome task that you have given me. I pray now that you would guide, you would lead, you would bless. In the precious and matchless name of Jesus Christ, I pray these things. Amen. The good and beautiful God is love. I was coming in this morning, as as I was coming in, one of my brothers said to me as we greeted each other, uh, yeah, you've got it pretty easy. God is love. Uh, That's a a good one. That's, That's an easy one. And I said, yes and no. On the one hand, it's very easy. But on the other hand, it's a very difficult place because, as you're going to see, it's going to take us right to that place where often we don't want to go. Now, you know the story, but before we get to the story, I want to give you a little background on this story because uh, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting story. And it, it's, again, it's, it's one of those stories that it's very easy to say, oh, yeah, I already know the end of the story. I already know what's going to happen. Typically what happens with this story, the prodigal son, is we focus on the son, the bad boy. And we forget that the rest of the story has some interesting pieces to it, please hear me, that's focused on some other aspects of what God is trying to do. Because I believe this text is teaching us something very, very powerful through this parable. In fact, if you look at the parable, which starts at chapter 15 of Luke, it is prefaced by these words, and these words will set the stage for the rest of the parable. So pay attention, because this is very key. I missed this the first time. And then I went back and I said, oh my gosh, that's it. Watch this. Chapter 15 in Luke Now, the tax collectors, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. That's Jesus. 
And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. That sets the stage for the story. What is going on here? Jesus finds himself in a very difficult place again because now the Pharisees and the scribes, that is the religious people of the time, are questioning his authenticity, his realness. You cannot be a prophet because you, you, you eat with tax collectors. Those are the people that we have no respect for, we don't care about, because everybody knows that they're, they're the Scrooges, they're the bad people. And then you eat with sinners, people that are immoral people. You, 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 you eat with those people, and we have very stringent, very strict laws regarding how we should eat and whom we should eat with. That sets the drop back to this because Jesus now is going to reply to this allegation that they have launched against him that you are hanging around the wrong kind of folks. So you can't be a prophet. You can't be a rabbi. You can't be this teacher come from God because you're hanging around with sinners. So he told them this parable and bear with me. And watch this. He's going to actually taught three stories here. We often say these are three separate parables, but this is actually one story. This is one parable. He told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Now, this is a very important piece of the story, because this first story that he's telling in his answer to the Pharisees, those religious folks, this first story is actually connected to the parable, the parable of the the prodigal son. This is a classic connection. What Jesus is doing is so powerful here. It, is, it, is, it, blew, me, it blew me away when I saw it. I said, that's the connection. He's, tell, he's giving them the answer. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to him, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 religious persons who need no repentance. More rejoicing over one sinner who repents versus 99 who need no repentance. Or what woman, he goes into the next story, still the same parable, into the next story. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. He mentions it again over one sinner who repents. And now he launches into the last part of this parable, this one parable, talking about the prodigal son, which incidentally should actually be, some people believe it should be the prodigal God, because prodigal is actually a word that means extravagant or or, or just crazy, wild. And as we're going to find out, this prodigal God this extravagant God 
demonstrates extravagant grace and mercy and love for some of the people that we would tend to blow away. That's where this is going. And there was a man who had two sons, and the youngest son said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Now keep in mind who's listening to who's the audience here. These are Pharisees. These are the scribes. These are the strict religious people with all the the strict laws. and, 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 And Jesus is giving them the answer to why he hangs around with sinners. This is his answer in this story. He's giving them the answer. Keep that in the back of your mind. So he went and hired himself off one of the citizens who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. Now, here's a young man In their tradition, he's one of their community, and now he is so desperate, he's willing to eat with the pigs. The audience that Jesus is speaking to, which is comprised of sinners and the religious folks, by this time, these righteous people, these self-righteous people are saying, yeah, yeah, good for him. That's what, yeah, that's what happens when you're a bad boy. Good, 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 good. But when he came to himself, He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and 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 I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran, embraced him and kissed him and said to him, and he said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son, was dead and is alive and he was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is where the story gets interesting now. The son, the older son, is now having a problem. His older son was in the field, and as he came, as he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked, what, 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 what's happening? What's going on? And that servant said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he received from him, uh, received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice he said this son of yours, not my brother, when this son of yours 
came who has devoured your property with prostitutes. How did he know that? I think he's exaggerating. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, his father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and found again. This is a response. This entire thing is a response to the Pharisees making the comment. You hanging around with tax collectors and sinners. Why are you eating with those people? Rembrandt had a picture of this son coming back. And uh, I thought it was kind of neat. Let me say this right off. The son has a problem. The older son has a problem. Because in reality, the older son's situation is really no different than the younger son. Bear with me on this. The youngest son goes to his father and says to his father, basically he says to his father, I want everything that is due to me drop dead. Because the only way that he would be able to get any kind of inheritance in the regular tradition would be if his father died. So by going to his father asking for his inheritance before his father died is essentially saying, drop dead, daddy. I want what's coming to me. The father graciously gives it to him. Now, in that tradition, in that culture, you, you would, the older son would get, of course, first because he's the oldest son. But here the younger son is coming before saying, I, I want my portion. And so now you, you're in this situation where he's got to not only to give him a portion, he's got to divide it up. That means he's got to sell off some stuff, sell off some uh, land or, or give away some livestock. He's got to make this work, give this son his portion. He goes out. Spends it all in a distant place, extravagant living. We don't know all the details of it, but we know his life was very extravagant. He spends everything. And then when he comes back, when he, at one point when he's, he, he's, he's at the end of his spinning, he realizes, uh-oh, I'm in trouble now. I've got to be able to go back, but how do I go back with empty hands knowing that I've kind of insulted my father big time, and now I have nothing to show, and I've got to go back. How does that work? Things had gotten so bad, he found himself in the pig pen, it says, and he was eating with the pigs. He, he was almost desiring to eat their food because that's how things had gotten for him. He goes back. But as he's going back, something interesting is going on. And hit, watch this. He's rehearsing how he's going to approach his father. He says, I'll go back to my father, and, 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 and what I'll say is these words. I'll, I'll say this. I'm wrong. I've sinned against God. I, 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 I've done these bad things, and I, I'm, just make me a servant. It actually translates, make me a craftsman so I can be able to work myself back into your good grace some kind of way. 
I'm not worthy to do anything other than just to be a worker bee. I'm not worthy to have any portion of your what was entitled to me. I need to pay something back here. And as he's coming and he's rehearsing, as he's walking, talking to himself, we, we, in, in, in the English we have what we call this uh, figure, this speech, a soliloquy. It's, it's, it's kind of his spoken thoughts. Oftentimes when an author is writing or a dramatist is writing something and he wants the audience to know what's really going on inside the character, he'll allow and use this thing called soliloquy. Just like in Hamlet, in uh, what, uh, uh, one of the... Uh, parts of Hamlet, I don't remember which one, but uh, Act 1 or Act 3, uh, this Hamlet uh, soliloquy where he's speaking about to be or not to be, that is the question, that whole thing. So you get an insight into what's going on inside that character. And so we have a peep now inside what's going on inside the younger boy's mind. The father sees him at a distance, bear with me, Before he has a chance to rehearse it all, the father grabs him and kisses him and starts celebrating, saying, hey, let's kill the fattened calf. Let's let's put a robe on him. Let's put a ring on his finger. Let's put shoes on his feet because he's a slave, because he he has no shoes. He's at the very bottom of everything now. And so the father is, is, is meeting him out where he's at. Why? Because the father knows that if the son, if that's his son coming in the distance and he recognizes his son out there and his son comes back without the father's coverage, the townspeople, that community will basically look at him and say, oh boy, we heard about you. You are bad news because you have not only insulted your father, but you've brought disgrace on this community as well. And so the father lavishes love on this son, pours this crazy, extravagant love on this son. Now somebody asked the question, they said, well, did he repent? Did he repent? No. There's nothing going on there. He's working his story right now as he's, he's planning to meet the father. He's working his story repentance does not take place until after he gets to his father's house and he begins to see what the harm, the hurt he's done to his father. And then he wants to get it right. I want to pick up the story now with the younger, the older boy. Because the older boy is stuck. And the reason he's stuck is because he now is showing his true colors. The younger boy, the young brother, is basically saying, give me what I want right now. And I'm going to go out and do bad things. I'm going to do what I want to do. I want to run my own life. The older boy is in essence saying to the father in his response, is like, all this time I've been with you, I've done all these things, I've kept all the requirements and all of this, and this is what you treat me. This is what I get back in return. So in essence, the older boy and the younger boy are in the same boat. I want to put this statement out there regarding performance-based acceptance because I think that's the real problem here with the younger, older brother. I think in reality, the older brother is struggling because the reality is that that 
when you're stuck in a place where you want to prove that you, you have to earn your way. Please hear this. You have to fit or figure out how to make it fit. How do I earn my way? And we do it all the time with God. God, I, I can't believe that you would love me just like I am. And so what I have to do is I have to make sure I check all the boxes that says I've earned this position that I have with you. And that's essentially what the older boy is saying. He says, I've earned something here. I should be getting something back. Watch this. A performance-based acceptance mindset gives birth to a kind of self-righteousness and rejects the good and loving God. A performance-based acceptance mindset gives birth to a kind of self-righteousness and rejects a good and loving God. See, I believe, I believe that the Pharisees question to Jesus in the very first part of chapter 15 of Luke, why are you eating with the sinners and tax collectors is indicative of their self-righteousness. They're, they're, they're believing that it's all in what you do kind of thing. You got to keep all the laws, all the rules and all the regulations, because if you keep all the rules and regulations some kind of way, that will earn you something special with God. And I believe that when you have that kind of performance-based kind of thinking, ultimately you move into this place where you begin to think that uh, I'm better than anybody else. I'm better. Do we do the same thing? I I think so. I think we struggle with it more or less with if, if there was a character that we needed to identify with, certainly there are all kinds of themes that could pop out of this whole parable, forgiveness and all of this kind of grace and all of this. But I think, I think if there's pieces that, could, that, that jump out, of it, I think it's the character of the older brother. Because oftentimes it's the people that think that they don't need any help that they are self-sufficient, that they've got it all together. I, I, I run a small group. I teach a Bible study. I do this. I pay my tithes. I do this. I help out with this. I do this. I do all of these things. And some kind of way, by doing all those things, I've earned a certain place with God. And what God is saying is, no, you haven't. You have not. Because there are those that don't do all of those things. And and in fact, there are those that do contrary to my will. And guess what? I love them anyway. Our common lot, I believe, is that because of our inborn securities, we have a tendency to want to control our lives. And I think that's what, the, what, what was going on with the, the younger boy. Give me the money. I want to go and run my own life. I don't need anybody else. I don't need you, God. I don't need you, Dad. I don't need anything. Because of our lack of faith, we too 
think we have to earn our way with God. Because of our own fallen nature, we too have a distorted view of sin because obviously there's a distorted view, at least in the head, the hearts, and the minds of the Pharisees. What is sin? The way they understand sin is sin is is, is what you do. And God is saying, no, no, it's not so much what you do. It's what's in your heart. That's what I'm looking at, what's in your heart. So what does this mean for us? Self-righteous religion is performance-driven and sees obedience as acceptance. Hear this. Self-righteous religion is performance-driven and sees obedience as acceptance. Self-surrendered gospel faith knows acceptance and responds in obedience. You see the difference there? Self-surrendered gospel faith knows acceptance already. It doesn't have to work on anything. It already knows that it's accepted, and it responds by being obedient. Folk that are religious, super religious, religion is, will be performance-driven, and, and they see it as part of their need to do what? To be accepted, because that's obedience. If I obey all these rules, if I get all the rules right, then I'm accepted by God. If I go to the right school, if I marry the right person, if I buy a house in the right neighborhood, if I have the right business, I'm accepted. And God is saying, no, no, what I'm looking for is a surrendered heart. I'm looking for somebody that simply says, surrendered heart to me. The real insult by both brothers the older brother and the younger brother, the real insult was that they trashed their father's love. They trashed their father's compassion. The younger boy did it by saying, I wish you were dead. Give me what I want right now. All that's due to me. The self-entitlement kind of mentality. The older boy said, I deserve it. I deserve better because I have done all of these things. I deserve something here. You see, they're both in the same place. Self-righteous religion is performance-driven, and it sees obedience as acceptance. Self-surrendered gospel faith knows acceptance and responds in obedience. What's the takeaway today, Pastor Ali? What do you want us to walk away with? The Pharisees start off in this text saying, why does he eat with sinners? Why does he eat with tax collectors? And Jesus basically is saying, yep, actually you're right. Not only do I eat with them, but I crazy, run crazily after them, which, by the way, was absurd for that time. No respectable father 
No respectable father would chase after his son. In fact, men that had property, men that had cattle and, 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 and in that time would, would walk around with their long robes on and they would walk very deliberately. Only little kids ran. They would walk because it was a sign of dignity and, and respect. You, 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 you walked and kind of strolled as you were going through life. You didn't run. You see what Jesus is doing? He's taking a story and he's turning it upside down. If you got a chance and you go back and look at the Jacob narratives, Jacob and Laban, he's basically taken that story and he's remorphed it into a whole different story now to teach something very powerful about himself. Because I believe that in this story, he's really saying, here is what I am about. I am Jesus. And here's what Jesus does. Because the father who represents God throws this crazy, lavish, extravagant love out there for this son that is so undeserving and even the older son that's so so undeserving and still embraces them. That's grace. That's mercy. That's saying, I love you in spite of you stuff. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did as the suffering servant. He came to his own, even though his own rejected him. He came to his own. All throughout the Old Testament, there's this sense in Ezekiel, there's a sense that in Jeremiah, there's a sense that that God is saying, I want to bring them back. I will go after them. I believe that God comes after us. We don't run after God. There's a theological disconnect there in some people's minds because there's this, uh, this whole argument that used to go on forever and ever about uh, 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 do we go after God or does God come after us? And a famous scholar from uh, Africa, North Africa, Augustine, who, uh, who was one of the highest scholars in Christianity, came up with this idea that no, in Augustinian theology, God comes after us. But then somebody else that existed in his time, Pelagius, said, no, we come after God because we have to have some sort of dignity, so we run after God. And he says, no, 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 no. In fact, the New Testament says basically that God comes after us. That's the right way to think. I remember years ago, I used to have a bumper sticker I put on the back of my car, and on that bumper sticker, when I first came to the Lord, it says, I found Christ. I had a big sticker when I first, I think I was about three months into the faith. And I just knew all kind of stuff because I was a brand new believer. I found Christ and I wanted everybody to know I found Christ. Now I'm thinking about how distorted that was. No, I didn't find Christ. He found me. He sought for me. He retrieved me. He saved me. You see the difference? We don't run after God. God runs after us. And that's precisely what's going on here in this parable. He's saying to those Pharisees, he's saying, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah, yeah. My father will hang with the dregs of society. My father will hang with the ne'er-do-wells. My father will hang with the low lies. My father will hang with the very people that you want to throw away because you're too religious. What does that say about us as religious people in the 21st century. 
Do sometimes we find ourselves looking down on somebody because maybe they don't exactly have the right pedigree? Maybe they don't dress as nice. Maybe don't, they don't smell as nice. Maybe they're not cultured. Maybe they don't go to the right school. Maybe they didn't even have a school. Maybe they never attained a degree. Maybe they have some dark place in their history, and we know their secret, and we say, oh, that person should not be uh, associated with us because there's some darkness in their past. God would say, no, they, they, I love them just as much as I love you with your degrees and with your pedigree and with all your stuff. I love them because I love all your stuff because there's not one that can claim righteousness, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not one can claim any special place. God is out to seek and save people that recognize their sickness. That's what he told the Pharisees. He says, you know, you're sick. If you're well, you don't need a physician. I've come to deal with those that know that they're sick. You see, the people that are sinners, the people that are the ne'er-do-wells, the people that are the, the bad tax collectors, all those people, they knew what they were because they were the subject of conversation, the gossip and stuff, so they knew what they were about. It's the religious people that you have to watch out for, the ones that supposedly have a relationship with God. For us, we have to watch out too lest we find ourselves stumbling in the same place. For we find ourselves all of a sudden in that self-sufficient, self-righteous place. I remember, I remember about, maybe about 10 years ago, Karen and I were invited to go to the home of a couple, two men that were I guess they were a couple. They were homosexual. And so when I was informed that we had the invitation, I remember I struggled dearly, and I remember I said a few choice things to Karen about why I was not going. And I remember as I was thinking about it, God began to deal with my heart, and basically in that still moment said, What? You are light. You are supposed to be salt. And how dare you have this self-righteous place in your heart, knowing what I know about you, Ali. I know where you came from. I remember going reluctantly, kind of going and getting there and putting the plastic smile on my face as I met the two gentlemen at the door. And, And then to my surprise to find out that not only were we going to have dinner, but we were going to stay overnight. And I said, oh, no, oh, no. I didn't say it out loud, but I said, oh, no, oh, no. There's no way that I'm going to stay overnight in a home with two people that have this thing all mixed up in terms of their gender and relationship. No way. And again, God dealt with my heart. I didn't disrespect anything. I had a smile on my face as we sat there and ate together and, and, and as we watched TV and all of that and played a little game and stuff. And, and uh, you know, my, I just, my wife, is so, she's so special. She knows how to, how to just fit in anywhere. She just 
clicks with anything. And I'm sitting there, I'm just dying. Because it wasn't what I'm used to, because in my self-righteous mindset, it was like, no, they don't measure up. And God is saying, yes, they do. Now, does that mean that God was condoning homosexuality because I was there? Was I condoning? No, he was not. But why not be a a person that demonstrates love, the love of God? See, that's how men will know that you're disciples because they'll look at the love. That's the evidence, the love. Ended up leaving the next morning and saying farewell and as God continued to work on my heart and I was like, wow, wow, interesting. Takeaway, start today. This is your takeaway challenge. Start today embracing God's extravagant, unconditional love for you. Start today. Start today accepting God's love, even the love that extends to those that you deem unworthy. Start today extending love to the people that you think aren't worthy. I dare you. Psalm 86, 15, but you, O Lord, are are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's the God that we're talking about. Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I love you and you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Start today being God's love in the world. Psalm 136, 26. Give thanks to God, the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not, who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is the epitome, the essence of all it, what, what it is. The very, the synchronon, the, the very essential piece of everything that we hold dear, that we say we believe in as Christians, is the fact that the Father loves us. The Father has demonstrated that love by giving his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. We celebrated a week ago the crucifixion, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, but it was an act of love. How dare that we would find somebody that we think is not worthy because we think that we earn something else. We, we have something more that should be recognized. God, in his infinite wisdom, chose to do something that completely goes against the grain of the way we think. And it means that some kind of way we have to begin to think about, God, God, if we're to do it the way you want it done, we have to get out of our place of trying to earn our something, having earned something before God. Throw that away. You can't do enough good stuff. You can't give enough money. 
You can't serve in enough small groups. You can't go on enough mission trips. You can't do enough in, in, in praise team. You can't do enough in church period. You can't greet enough. You can't teach enough. You can't preach enough. It is simply the grace of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. What kind of gift? The gift of love. God loves us with an extravagant, crazy, crazy love. And we have to accept that. You have uh, these exercises that we've been doing. And I want to leave you with this one. It's something called, some of you have probably heard of it, called Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina, it's, it, it's, it's, it's sacred prayers, sacred praying, and, and it's, it's, it's in the book, Brian's book. And what essentially it is, it's a way that you and I can, can read the Word of God, read Scripture, pieces of passages, and as we read it, read it over and over again, and ask God as we're reading, God, how does this speak to my heart? What do you want to say to me, God, through this Scripture? What do you want to say to me? Take something simple, maybe a few verses, and just begin to just read it over and over, and then wait, meditate on it. Just think about, okay, God, read each word. Okay, God, okay, okay, okay. I want this to just saturate, marinate inside my soul. What do you want to say to me through your word? Praying scripture. Let the scripture speak to your heart. That's your exercise for this coming week. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity and for this time. Thank you that you have loved us in such an extravagant way that we can never earn it. We can never come back with anything other than just accept it. Thank you for grace that is beyond words in our human language, for mercy, new mercies every day, your compassions will never fail. Thank you, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen.